G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. I always love the insights that come from Charles Newington, who's the National Director for Family Voice Australia. Charles, joining us once again. Charles, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Good morning. Charles, uh, there's significant news, and sometimes we'll think, well, this news actually broke in December, but Australians were really uh, hearing about it en masse yesterday. Uh, Cardinal George Pell, he's become the most senior Catholic cleric to be convicted for child sex offences. He was found guilty in December of five charges related to the abuse of 13-year-old boys when he was the Archbishop of Melbourne in the 1990s. And uh, this whole ordeal casts a long shadow, not just over the Catholic Church, but over the entire Church. Uh, what are your overall impressions as to what has developed? Neil, I think we're still in a state of shock uh, as a nation, and particularly those people that are, uh, are primarily concerned with it, you know, Catholic leaders and, and people in the laity still be in a state of shock but um, as that starts to settle um, other emotions like anger will will come to the surface and uh, after all um, Cardinal George Pell is uh, the most significant Christian leader in Australia today he, he, he you know to the public to the, the public life of the nation there's nobody who has an equivalent status so this is um, this is a very, very serious and significant issue. And there is a temptation, isn't there, Charles, as a church leader, as a Christian leader, to want to side with the Christian leaders. But in this case, and in the case of what we've seen with the uh, the way that there has been convictions uh, of senior Christian leaders, we would recognise that the sympathy of the nation is with the victims, not with the church. Uh, how do you think about uh, the way that Australians think about what's happened with George Pell? Well, I think that uh, culturally we are inclined to side with the underdog uh, anyway, and so this really fits our narrative that um, that here we have a, a very powerful institution, the Catholic Church, that that has uh, historically protected itself at the expense of the victims of uh, of its clergy, and um, this really run, runs deep with the Australian psyche. You know, we find this very very uh, un, unsatisfactory. It's it's disturbing. It's 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 uh, something that just emotionally switches us. Off. And, uh, and the Catholic Church um, faith, um, certainly in Australia, but I think globally, you know, what some Catholic leaders are describing a Catholic catastrophe. This is, this is not uh, a small thing. You know, some people are using the language and even uh, Archbishop Mark Coleridge um, uh, was willing to concede that this is the greatest challenge the Catholic Church faces since the Reformation 500 years ago. And he 
he used this language. He says, and we didn't see it coming. And um, I, I suggest that that, was, that really struck me, those words, you know, that um, for them not to see it coming, you know, not, not, not to acknowledge the literally thousands of, uh, of young people and families that have been so deeply wounded in this nation and across the world, not to see that coming. It suggests, doesn't it, that there was a, a kind of a, a, an institutionalized pattern of uh, empowerment, you know, where they felt beyond the reach of um, of criticism or judgment and that they had people in high places that would defend them and protect them. Um, but, you know, the world has changed. Um, that's not how it works anymore. And, uh, and they now face uh, the very deepest of um, the very deepest of soul searching, organisational restructuring, and all kinds of, of course, litigation and claims. We might assume that over the past decades, there's been a lot of processes that would have changed not only within the Catholic Church but uh, all of the major denominations in ways that they will have moved to protect children in their care. Yeah. But there is a certain sense here in which when these stories come to light and the consequences are recognised, uh, there is always that question, what more needs to be done to be able to solve or resolve or reset the the way that you navigate the future forward uh, in order to protect children. So uh, there is a, a major uh, uh, issue here, isn't there? Because uh, there there still needs to be more changes that uh, that will actually protect people who are uh, putting their trust in leaders in church life. Yes, I, I think that you know this is happening on a number of different levels. Some people are using, you know, the the, the this this situation with Cardinal Pell as a as a vindication. You know, this is kind of like the ultimate vindication that the leader of the Catholic Church, the most significant Christian leader, has been found guilty, and therefore um, that everything is vindicated. All all the accusations have been vindicated. Uh, and yet I do think that that the emotion has run beyond that and uh, that this is more than just a sort of a vindication. It's almost like uh, there's, he's, being, he's being used as a kind of a, almost like a kind of a, a sacrifice and he's being held responsible for the sins of the whole church uh, and, and it's, beyond, um, it's beyond law here. It, it, it's now into the realm of, of um, symbolism, you know, and, and, and we, we, need a, we need a sacrifice type thing in order to, to, to purge out the problem. But, but at a deeper level, I mean, once that's been done, at a deeper level, the church has to deal with what, what has combined to create this culture where, where this kind of thing can happen. And, it, and, and, and that's a very, very deep issue for them because it's not just about structures. It's not just about dealing with celibacy or, or the place of women or um, somehow managing the integrity of the clergy more successfully and uh, things like that. It's, it's about the theology of the church. You know, the, a theology that 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 places uh, so much power and significance into uh, the into the clergy's uh, identity that it's through the clergy that people receive their baptism and they they and they receive the mass and they receive confession through which they are assured of eternal life and it's like you, you know this is all in the hands this power this great ultimate power is in the hands of the local priest and clergy and it's and, and the balance of power then between the people and the clergy is so so stretched it's so extreme 
that um, that this requires um, deep changes in the theology of the church, and uh, and that's what the Reformation was about. It was about the fact that um, that one in three people, as it turned out uh, today, you know, non-Catholic uh, uh, Christians uh, felt that the Catholic Church had misread the Scripture in terms of the authority of of the clergy, and and uh, and that and that we were to come straight to Christ, we were to receive grace from Christ, and not not via an intermediary such as a such as a priest you know we weren't reliant on the priest we weren't reliant on the church we were reliant only upon christ and that that's that it's the same issue actually that that is manifesting in a different way in our age so when we dig a little deeper and talk about theological issues as you're describing there and you're describing a difference here as to what eventuated 500 years ago mm-hmm. uh, where there was a, a divide, of course, with the Reformation and uh, you had the formation of Protestantism and uh, those churches that are evangelical or Pentecostal, Reformed churches, they came out of that side. And then, of course, in the Catholic Church, uh, there was a process whereby they did tend to hold on to this intermediary idea of priests becoming the uh, you know the, the 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 point on the way to salvation so this is why it's such a crisis because if priests can't be trusted then then you've got the whole people of the catholic church uh, who are cast into a, a level of uh, of uh, of not being sure about about how the function of their religious practices works. Uh, this is where you talk about uh, reformation. Uh, mm. Does reformation need to continue to happen within the Catholic Church? And and while those Protestants who are looking on and uh, in judgment on the Catholics uh, really need to revisit all the, those ways that ways that they see their salvation uh, being worked out as well. Yes, well, I think it's a it's a it's a psychological thing, you know. Uh, it's it's the way that we use power. That un, unfortunately, um, we're addicted to power, and so whether we're talking about politicians or business people or or uh, religious leaders, uh, we have to face up to the fact that there's a tendency for us to 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 interpose ourselves in people's lives as the source of wisdom or the source of salvation. Uh, when actually we are, you know, as John the Baptist said, he's just a voice. You know, he's, he, you know, he's not the author of these words that come to him from God. You know, he's just a voice. He's, he's just a human being like the rest of us that needs the same grace. And and this humility is something that uh, that that doesn't sit easily with uh, with leaders. And uh, it's. It's the it's the issue of, uh, of for us. You know, we, we're just about to enter into um, the season of Lent, and uh, and I'm I'm sort of saying that Ash Wednesday's come early for us. You know, we've we've come to this point through this event uh, of having to recognise that now is not the time to be castigating anybody or to be judging anybody. Now's the now's the time to be recognising that that this, this this the sin of pride and the sin of self-importance affects us all and. And we need a work of grace that's deeper than something sociological or organizational. The church can't reform itself uh, it, it, by just organizing and reorganizing the way we do things. It's the very spirit of the of the church that needs uh, to be renewed. And, uh, and, and we mustn't push the Catholics away. You know, there's so many wonderful men and women, both in the clergy and in the laity in the Catholic church, whose faith is sincere, who's, uh, who's, who see their salvation in Christ. And uh, and uh, they they don't need us um, uh, 
um, you know, making things worse. But but we can't make things right in a natural way. That That's why we have seasons of prayer. You know, that's why historically the Church has lent, because there are some things we cannot do. And it's not because we don't want to do them, but because they are bigger than us and they are they are spiritual. They're not just social or organizational. Charles, I agree we're all in this together and uh, it is a wrong thing for anyone on the Christian side of the divide to be throwing stones at one another because we're all tarred with the same brush. Let me bring you to the idea that there are supporters of George Pell and there's been some uh, some conservative commentators who has, have mm. uh, identified this as, you know, this is like a witch hunt and, uh, mm. and uh, the evidence doesn't stack up that he's been convicted uh, on that evidence. Uh, there are even two former prime ministers uh, yeah. who are standing by the character of George Pell, uh, not commenting on the case because uh, there are some new, uh, you know, legal proceedings that may mm. still be ahead. But this is this is significant because what I can hear you saying today is that whether he is guilty or not, and there'll be those who will say uh, this needs to be retried and, uh, you know, the evidence doesn't stack up, but whether he is guilty or not, this is not a time for us to uh, ignore the idea that the church needs to remain humble and uh, certainly in support of those who have been victims of certainly. these dreadful crimes over certainly. decade after decade. Yeah, uh, what certainly. are your thoughts for, for the way people will be looking at how they position themselves on this George Pell issue? Well, I think that when we look at, um, and, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but, but in the, in the same-sex marriage debate, um, the use of emotion and the use of, of um, you know, powerful emotion to, to, to shift public opinion, um, um, perhaps by both sides um, in the debate, um, it, 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 what it did was it changed the way in which the public conversation uh, happens. And, and we see that emotion playing out justifiably. I, I mean, this is, this is, these, we're talking about terrible things here and, and, and such wounding. So, but the thing is that what's happening is that, that, that um, institutions like parliaments and even the courts are being overwhelmed by the generation of public emotion. And uh, imagine how hard it's going to be for those people that are charged with um, with the appeal, you know, and trying to to find their way through to to not not just justice for for George Pell, but um, for for what the nation what the nation is uh, feeling uh, at this time. And so um, um, there's been this shift where we used to think about reason and rationalism and as a rule of law, as the very ground of our uh, of our social cohesion, you know, but that that's being exploded um, in, in today's world, and uh, it's it's once again it requires a great calmness of mind and a great carefulness of language, and so um, you know there are some that have already made up their mind that this that, that this decision of the court is 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 valid and it will stand, and that the appeal. Is irrelevant, and uh, and uh, and there are others that are saying, "Hang on a minute, um, you know, there's good grounds for an appeal here." And uh, I, I think we probably need to just try to subdue the intensity of our emotion 
uh, without being callous about uh, the suffering of of, of the uh, of the victims here. You know, we have to do two things. We've got to hold two things in our hearts at the same time: a care for those that have been so wounded, and on the other hand, a care for society as a whole and the and the importance of our institutions. What you're suggesting here, Charles, is so, so hard to balance, and people will have made up their mind. But what I can hear you say is that regardless of what uh, George Pell did or didn't do, so uh, guilty or not guilty, witch hunt, no witch hunt, uh, it's it's, uh, it's, uh, he is uh, the one who must bear the anger of the people. At this point, because the anger of the people is also valid. And uh, I note uh, that in some notes uh, that you've been writing, that you suggest that he he may well be the one who's being punished for the sins of all clergy offenders, uh, given his position in the Catholic Church. Yes, there is there is something very symbolic about this, and this is what happens, you know, psychologically in a nation at times, when you need when there's a feeling like you you know you need a scapegoat, you need somebody in whom this national crisis can be resolved. Whose fault is it ultimately? And and people feel that they've identified whose fault it it is. The highest churchman in the land. It was his fault. He presided over all this, and it's fitting that it should come. Uh, that this should come home to his own personal story, and and uh, I I think that um, that narrative it's so emotionally and psychologically powerful that we, you know, we have to pray for those people that are charged with, you know, the legal proceedings from from here on out, that um, that they are mindful of that this is not just about George Pell's life, it's not just about. Uh, even a, a, a tragic compensation for those that have suffered so much. But this is about the national integrity. This is about how we deal with justice and uh, how we deal with emotion and how we bring uh, truth to light. Uh, if we surrender this, um, we, we enter into yet another dark corridor. We're talking about a major rebuilding of trust in all elements of the church and uh, you mentioned it's a little bit like Ash Wednesday come early Ash Wednesday is actually next week and that uh, symbolizes the start of Lent uh, which is typically a time of deepening of faith of repentance uh, of uh, of of becoming more Christ-like uh, even you know in historical sense uh, you know that that pathway towards baptism uh, but there is a certain sense uh, where this is, as you say, brought forward uh, early Ash Wednesday, early day for repentance and for Christians to uh, actually not be so judgmental on either side, but to actually, uh, in their own hearts, look for where repentance must begin. I agree. I think that we uh, are... You know, when we take, when we start to pray, when we start to humble ourselves before God, we begin to see how that we're implicated in a personal way, in in, in the moral declension of, um, of of our own little worlds, uh, and how uh, how hard it is to uh, to adjust the moral tone of a family or of an institution um, uh, by other means than the very Spirit of God Himself. Uh, we cannot change our own hearts or the hearts of anyone. You know, you can't legislate righteousness. This is beyond us. This is the work of God and it's the work of grace. And the only way that happens is when people position themselves 
for God to do that. And, and uh, that's, that's the call, uh, of course, to all Christian leaders at this time, uh, but it's the call to all Christians uh, everywhere that, um, that we recognize that the nation, you know, the nation needs the church to be the church, and the church needs God to be the church. Uh, the nation needs something in some community that that isn't judgmental in the way that it brings light into society, but that is it is by its character and by its example, it it it, it acts as a, a a moderation on those that would institute wickedness and and immorality, or immorality and corruption. That's what light is and what salt is that, that preserves it. And and I I know from my own experience that you know uh, I am absolutely reliant upon the goodness and grace of God to keep me as a, a man of integrity. It, it's not something I can do for myself. And, uh, and, and that is, that's just human nature. Left to ourselves, you know, we go in the wrong direction. And so uh, I encourage everybody who's part of the church today uh, to, 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 to take a new position of humility, to kneel on the inside, you know, to begin to kneel on the inside. To humble ourselves, uh, to be open before God, and uh, I, I think your advice, your uh, the way that you articulate those things, Charles, very, very powerful. And uh, in a time when there is need for reflections on all sides uh, yeah. of the Christian Church, let me point people to Family Voice Australia. The website is familyvoice.org.au. You'll find tremendous resources there as you're making sense of the issues as they unfold around the nation. And uh, Charles Newington, just uh, wonderful insights once again on a very difficult crisis issue for the nation. And uh, Charles, the National Director of Family Voice Australia, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.